Let's pray this morning. Father, we ask you to speak to us these next few minutes. With all that you have planned today, Father, we open our hearts to receive all of it. On this special day, when our hearts are stirred and our emotions are stirred, we ask most of all that you would speak to us by your word and by your spirit. Let your word be a lamp to our feet and a light to our pathway to show us where we go from here, each one of us individually. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you've got a Bible today, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible with you or you don't have a Bible on a device, we'll have the verses on the screen as we read together. Today I want to share a message called Communion and the Cross. When you came through the doors today into the building, you received the emblems of communion. If you did not, we'll give you an opportunity in a few minutes to receive those emblems. But today we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper together. But I felt in my heart the last few days that God had impressed on me to talk about this moment to make sure everyone here, whether you've been walking with God for 60 years or whether you've just begun your walk with God, I want to make sure we understand what these emblems are really all about and what it means to us today. God has spoken some things in my heart that I want to share with you. And before I get started, let me, let me just say in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, to put this message and these scriptures in context, Paul is addressing a problem that developed within the church at Corinth. And really what he's doing, he's talking about reverencing the Lord's Supper versus an irreverence that existed for the Lord's Supper. Over a period of time, they were taking lightly and misusing the intent of the Lord's Supper. And Paul wrote to that church to really to correct many things, but one of the things he wrote to correct was how they were handling the Lord's Supper. So I want you to read with me the latter part of 1 Corinthians 11. And I'm going to divide these scriptures into two sections because I'm going to divide this message into two parts. So look, if you would, at verse 23. Verse 23, Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. But the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke the bread, and he said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In verse 25, he says, In the same manner he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And finally, verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Notice those words. When you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You know, this morning, if you look at Matthew's gospel and Mark's gospel and Luke's gospel, they all record what Paul is talking about. When Jesus instituted what we call the Lord's Supper, some people call it communion, Jesus himself instituted it. And in this passage of scripture I, I want you to notice a few things in, in part one of this message we're going to look back at the cross and we're going to share some facts about the Lord's Supper that we need to be aware of just some simple facts for our own understanding the first thing that Paul said was I received this from the Lord and I've delivered it to you now let me take just a moment and talk about this because I, I think sometimes we fail to understand that when things are really important to God, he says things twice. 
Can I get a bobblehead this morning? Sometimes God in his word says things twice because he wants to make sure we get it. A couple of weeks ago, I was sharing a message and we ran across a passage of scripture where God said something twice. And when God says something twice, when God repeats something, we know that God's trying to make a point to us. Paul said, now think about this, in the upper room, the same night that Jesus was betrayed on the time of Passover, that Jesus delivered something to his disciples. And then later on to the next generation with the Apostle Paul that came along on their heels, it says he delivered this to the Apostle Paul. And then Paul said, now I'm delivering it to you. He was making a statement that we need to understand today that from generation to generation to generation, the Lord's Supper is important to us. It's important to us. Now, I'll get into it more in a few moments. From time to time, we partake of the Lord's Supper together. We provide the emblems. We do this together. We do this because Jesus told us to do it from time to time. But Paul stressed here, Jesus did it in the upper room. He gave it to the disciples. He's given it to me. I've given it to you from generation to generation. Keep establishing this. Keep it alive in the church because it is important. And the next thing we see, Jesus takes probably a loaf of bread. He takes it and he breaks it. And he gives it to the disciples and says, take and eat because this is my body broken for you take this eat this bread and then he gives the analogy this bread is my body broken for you you need to eat my body is what he's saying it needs to be your source of strength it needs to be your source of healing it needs to be the spiritual and the natural provision for your life. Take this bread and eat it because it brings provision into your life. And it's interesting, when Jesus did this, first he broke the bread. He broke it prophetic because just a few hours later, his body was about to be broken. Just a few hours later, what he was saying here, what he was showing them as he ripped apart that bread, his body was about to be ripped in the same manner that bread was ripped in his hands. And he said, I'm giving this to you now and understand it's important that you hang on to it and you pass it from generation to generation. Keep this alive in the church. But it was the same night that he was betrayed. Just a few hours later, Judas would betray him sell him off for 30 pieces of silver it was time of passover when the jewish people celebrated their release from bondage back in egypt and they would kill a lamb and drain away its blood and give it to the priest and the priest would throw the blood against the basin of the altar the base of the altar and in doing so it was done to protect them to cover their sins for another year on that same night the night of going into passover jesus did this with the bread and then he said something to them. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Don't forget my body that's going to be broken. Don't turn to somebody and say, don't forget. Come on, everybody, turn to somebody and say, don't forget. Even if it's a stranger, they won't be a stranger for long. Just tell them, don't forget. Jesus said, don't forget that this body of mine is about to be broken and then he turns and it says after dinner he took the cup probably a cup of wine 
He takes the cup and he says, this is my blood that's shed for you. The bread was my body. This cup, this wine is my blood. It's about to be shed for you. Take this and drink it. Drink the cup. Drink my blood. Because there's a new testament, a new agreement, a new contract with God that comes from this. In those days, they would, when, they, when they made a covenant, they would really do so to their own hurt. They would make agreements and covenants and swear to it. And they would cut their own bodies to get blood. And they would seal covenants with their blood. And Jesus said, I'm making a brand new covenant with you. And I'm sealing with my own blood. Take this. And then he said, and when you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Don't forget about my blood that's being shed. Then Jesus made one more statement here. And I want you to notice these words today. He said, as often as you do this, break the blood, the, the bread, drink the cup, as often as you do this, how, how often should we do the Lord's Supper? He didn't tell us how often. Some churches do it every Sunday. Some churches do it once a month. Some churches do it once a year. We do it basically every quarter. But when we do this, we take part of our service and we make sure that we turn the message towards the cross so people understand why we're doing this. Here's what Jesus said. As often as you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Don't forget that you are where you are today because of what Jesus did on Calvary. Don't forget it. Don't forget it. Don't take it for granted. You'll notice we've got the cross sitting on the stage, which we do from time to time. I wanted it there for emphasis today because Jesus said every time you partake of these emblems, my body and my blood, you are proclaiming what the death of Jesus has done in your life and what it means to you. This morning as I think about the cross, I, I'm always almost horrorized by what I think about when you think about what Jesus went through at Calvary. You know, throughout the ages, governments and tyrants have found ways of torturing people. We hear about torture from time to time in the news when they deal with different people in different countries, people that they consider to be enemies and terrorists. But in those days, Roman crucifixion, it was torturous. Sometimes it took a few minutes or a few hours. Sometimes it took several hours and all day. Sometimes they had to break the legs of victims who were on the cross so they could no longer push up and breathe and they would suffocate. But when you look at Jesus and the crucifixion, what he went through, you understand they took him off and they found him guilty in a mock trial. And then they laid him across this big stone and they took this cat of nine tails, a whip, with nine leather straps. And on those leather straps, there are pieces of sharp metal and glass. And they would wind up with that long whip and slap it across his back. And the, the metal and the steel and the glass would fasten into his body. And then they would rip it away. And every time they ripped it away, part of his body would leave. Until finally his back, the muscles, even the, the cartilage and the bones would be exposed to the world. And he became a bloody mess. 39 times they put those stripes upon his back. 
And they raised him up in that beaten, broken condition and put a robe on him and laughed at him and said, so you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Can I tell you something? Jesus went to the cross. He wasn't concerned about saving himself. He was concerned about saving you and me. And he carried that cross in that broken condition. History tells us that oftentimes when they put those stripes upon victims' back, people would die right there at the whipping post. They would never get any further because the flesh and the muscle and the blood would be spilled out until they would die right there on the spot. But Jesus, because he had a mission from God, Jesus stayed right there, took it upon his back, and then carried the cross to Golgotha. And when they got to Golgotha's hill, they stretched him out on that cross. Put the nails probably through his wrists between the bones, the same with the feet, nailed him to that cross and then raised him up and dropped that cross in a hole. And then they laughed and they mocked and they made fun of him, saying, save yourself. Jesus suffered a horrific death for you and for me. And sometimes I think we get so caught up in the goodness and the blessings, you know, this morning... I, during worship, I'm just, man, I'm just in heaven over there. Wow. The faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God. God has moved mountains. God's going to do it again. Man, I'm just all wrapped up in it. This is so cool and this is so wonderful. But today on this Sunday, we stop to realize where all that blessing comes from. That it may not have cost you much except to lay down your sin and your frustration and your failures and come to Jesus and lay your broken life at his feet. But to look back over your shoulder and see how far you've come and all that's got, that God has done, it may not have cost you a lot, but it cost him everything for you and I to have it today. And I think what Jesus was saying and what Paul was trying to get across when he shared this and wrote it in 1 Corinthians, don't ever forget where your blessing comes from. Whenever I preach on the cross, I always take one moment to talk about this because I think it's so important. What happened on the cross is this. Everything that was wrong with you and me was put on Jesus. And he was forsaken to die alone. Most of us know that. Everything that was wrong with us, all of our sin was thrust on him. He became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ, which means this. Everything wrong with us was put on him so that everything perfect and right about him could be put into our lives. A great exchange took place there. And today I want you to be aware that what God has given you is amazing. What God has done is amazing. I look over my shoulder and I see God's hand of grace at work because of the cross. But friend, I don't want to get stuck living in the past and forget about what God still wants to do because of the cross. I think some people miss it. The fact that the cross... Without the empty tomb is powerless. But the empty tomb without the cross is meaningless. They go together and they tell a story. Because the truth of the matter is, the cross opened the door for us to have communion with God. But there was a problem. Something separated us from God. There was a gulf between God and man. It was created by sin. 
It didn't listen to me. It didn't just interfere with our relationship. Sin prevented us being in communion and in relationship with God. But Jesus came to pay the price for our sins, to move the sin out of the way so that suddenly that void could be filled with us moving to God and God moving to us and us experiencing the love and the grace and the forgiveness and the blessing and the presence of God in our lives. Jesus went to the cross to span that gulf. Sin had to be taken totally out of the way because it prevented communion with God. Hebrews 9, 12 says that with his own blood, Jesus entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Friends, I am washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. I have an eternal relationship with God. I am saved. I'm going to walk with God throughout the rest of my life and into, through, into eternity, throughout all of eternity, because of what Jesus did on that cross. And so are you. Ephesians 1, 7 says, in Jesus we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Isn't it good to know that some of that stuff that you still remember, God's forgiven and chooses to remember no more? Anybody here got a record you just soon forget about? It's because of the blood of Jesus. Without the cross, there would be no communion with God. But 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. At the time of Passover, he became the spotless, sinless Lamb of God, and he laid down his life to wash away our sins and bring us life eternal. Romans 4.25 says that Jesus was delivered up because of our offenses, our sins, but he was raised from the dead because of our justification. You know what that means? That means when Jesus was raised from the dead, he was raised because God accepted his sacrifice for you and me. Had he not been sinless and spotless, he would never have been raised from the dead, but he was raised because God accepted his When I think about this today, I realize that his death has given us life. Say that with me. His death has given me life. One more time. His death has given me life. But I think sometimes we overlook the fact that Jesus said, Satan, the thief, comes only to steal, to kill, to destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. In the original writings, that literally means supernaturally abundant. That means God can get involved in every area of our lives and become our source for every good and perfect gift. It all happens because of his broken body and his shed blood. I remember when I was first starting out in the ministry, I was raised in, in a great home church, experienced God as a kid, and you know, I had a lot of friends, a lot of family in the church, and it was wonderful. But I remember when I first started in the ministry, our church was growing. It was an exciting place. And one day I was over at my dad's place of business, and I was doing some preparation, getting ready to take off and go preach a revival someplace. And, and I remember there's an old gentleman in my home church who I loved, sweet old man. I mean, just a sweet man. He was way up in his 80s, and he came over one day kind of hobbling around, and he walked up to me, and he said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm getting ready to go preach a revival. He said, well, kind of hung his head. Well, that's good, but I just got to tell you, when I was a boy in the early 1900s down in Arkansas, 
Man, we had a move of God back then. My mama was a preacher, and she would preach, and boy, we'd see God do things, most amazing things you ever saw. He said, I've never seen anything like it since, and the sad thing is we will never again see God do the things he did back then. And when he walked away, I stood there for him, and I think, well, God, what am I going to preach your Bible for if you're not going to do anything? Listen to me. It's amazing how many people have a relationship with God that all they can do is talk about the past. You know, I'm not a guest speaker today. I'm a pastor, so I can tell you the truth. I know I have to live with this, but I'm going to tell you something. If all you can do is talk about what God used to do, something is wrong in your relationship with God. Amen. If I didn't have these tight jeans on, I'd jump down there and amen myself and jump back up here, but I might hurt something, so I better not. Look at 1 Corinthians 11, and look at verse 27. I want to show you the second part of this. I'm, I'm going to close quickly, but I want, I want you to see this. Verse 27. Paul's talked about the past. This is what he delivered to me. I'm delivering it to you. But now he changes the tone a little bit, and he starts looking into the future. Everybody look right here. This is not just about the past. It's also about the right now. It's also about your future. Look at the next verse, verse number 27. Therefore... Paul says, therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Verse 28, but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Now, pause here a minute. Paul begins to talk about what I told you the first part of this message. He says, look, some of you are not looking at this correctly. It's gotten to the place where you bring food and you have big parties and everybody's drinking, getting drunk, and you're thinking, wow, this is great, getting drunk for Jesus. He said, that's not the idea here. You've missed the point. By the way, can I just tell you, if you think you're getting drunk for Jesus, you are deceived, okay? That's not God's will for you. Even at communion time. So Paul begins to address this problem. And then he says in verse number uh, 29, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Verse 30, for this reason many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. When we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the Lord. Paul was writing to adjust the way they looked at the Lord's Supper. But I think in doing that, Paul gave us two or three instructions that we need to see today. Number one, Paul said, do not partake in an unworthy manner. You know, when I was a kid growing up in church, we were always taught and told, well, this means that if you got any sin in your heart and you drink any of that cup and eat any of that bread, it's going to send you to hell. But he's talking about partaking in an unworthy manner. What he's talking about is when you partake of this, you need to understand what it is and partake it with the intent of receiving what it brings to you. Don't take it lightly. Don't take it lightly. Don't overlook what God wants to do in your life. The reason I'm preaching this message today is I don't want anybody partaking of this in an unworthy manner. 
Well, I remember 40 years ago, I used to take bread in the cup and I'd get goosebumps all over me, but I don't get that anymore. I don't know what's wrong with God. Can I tell you nothing's wrong with God? Everybody smile at me. <laughs> when we partake of this, we need to understand what it means to us. Number two, the second instruction that Paul gives us, he says, examine yourself before you partake. Am I looking at this correctly? Am I taking this as seriously as it is? How many of you think it was an important thing for Jesus to have his body broken on the cross? How many of you think it was an important thing for him to have his blood shed? Well, if it was important to him and if it was important to God, and if that's what brought us into relationship and washed away our sins, then evidently it needs to be important to me today. And I need to take this with reverence and seriousness. It's interesting. He said, examine yourself. What it, what it literally means is to test yourself and to approve that you're looking at this correctly. You're receiving it with the right intent. And then the third thing he said is, you need to discern. You need to discern the Lord's body. That word discerns means to take something and separate it thoroughly. Literally, it means to break it into little pieces until all the pieces are taken apart and you can look at every piece of it and you don't just take it in a lump and say, well, it's this. You understand everything that is involved in that broken body, in that blood that was shed. Take it apart. Understand all the benefits. Don't take the bread and the cup and say, ah, it's no big deal. It is a big deal if we understand what it is. Jesus said you need to discern the Lord's body. You know, there are at least two schools of thought about this, and I don't want to spend a lot of time, but I want to refer to it quickly. Some believe that he was talking to the, about the body of Christ as a whole, saying you need to understand that you can't have bitterness and look down your nose at people, and you can't have hard feelings towards people, and you can't put people down and think you're better than them because we are the body of Christ. So be careful about your relationships with people. Make sure you're not taking his forgiveness for granted while you're not extending forgiveness to others. And I think maybe, maybe that's a part of it. But if you put it back in context, this whole passage of Scripture, he's talking about his body being symbolized by bread and his blood being symbolized by the cup. And he says many people are sick and they're dying because they don't thoroughly separate the body and the blood and realize what's available to them because of what Jesus did on the cross. Listen, listen to me, I'm almost finished. Isaiah 53, 5. He was wounded for our transgressions means our rebellions the times we looked up at god and said no i'm not going to do it your way i'm not going to obey you i'm going to do what i want to do he was wounded for our rebellions our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities which means our fallen nature those things that were bent towards sin, those areas of our lives that we always seem to struggle with. He also took punishment and bruising to pay for that. Wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. But then it goes on to say the chastisement, the punishment, the payment for our peace was upon him. So that you and I can stand in the presence of God today and feel no condemnation of sin. 
That price was upon him. And finally it says, and by his stripes we're healed. You know, I'm, there's some of you in this building, you're smarter than I am, I know that. Some of you still wonder, how could God take somebody like you and make him a pastor? It's just God's grace, that's all I can tell you. But I'm going to tell you something. Don't come along trying to tell me that healing isn't in the atonement. Jesus made it very clear. By his stripes, we are healed. It's referred to in the New Testament. First Peter tells us, by the stripes of Jesus, we were healed. But Paul said, I'm almost finished. Listen closely. Paul said, there are benefits to the cross. And if all we do is take this looking backwards in the past, we miss what God wants to do for us today through the power of the cross. We miss it. That's why some people are sick and they die before their time. Some people's lives are upside down because they never go back to the cross and receive all the benefits. Some people stop growing in God because they forget that God wanted us in this family and he wants to keep working in our lives all the day of our li- days of our lives. We get so caught up in the past that we fail to realize He's still working now. The Lord's Supper is not just a reminder of the past. It's also a testament. It's a memorial to the faithfulness of God for our futures. And no matter how many years I live, every time there's a need that comes into my life, Jesus has already paid a price for provision to come to me. God's already got it on the shelves in heaven, ready to send it my way, because he took responsibility for me the moment I committed my life to him. And he's paid for my blessing now and forever. I think one of the reasons that Jesus instituted this is to keep us from living in the past one last thing john chapter 6 if you got your bibles turn there real quick i'm just going to read it three verses and finish or four verses jesus was talking about this very subject in john chapter 6 he was thinning out the crowd if you will big crowd of people arguing with him a bunch of people just wanted free meals whatever they could get from jesus jesus said this in john 6 verse number 53 we're going to have it on the screen John 6, verse 53, and Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. There are not 17 ways to God. There's one way to God is through Jesus Christ and the blood he shed on Calvary. If you haven't accepted the blood of Jesus in your life, you have no life in you. Verse 54, Jesus went on to say, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed and my blood is drink indeed. And he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. I have communion with God because of this. God has not saved us to live in the past. He saved us to forever enjoy his benefits and live in his presence because of Jesus. I want to I pray this morning. The worship team's going to get in place, but I want to pray. I want to ask everybody here, bow your heads, close your eyes. In just a few moments, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper together. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, maybe you're here today and 
know, maybe you've heard philosophies about Jesus. Maybe you think Jesus is a good teacher and a wise teacher. Jesus said, I'm the only way. If he was just a wise teacher, he was the biggest fool that ever lived because he claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed to lay down his life for you and me to bring us into relationship with God. And maybe today as you sit here, just maybe, maybe something's just tugging at your heart. Maybe the Spirit of God is convincing you this is true, this is right. It's not about my words, it's not about my preaching. It's about the Spirit of God convincing you Jesus is the Son of God. He died for my sins. He was raised from the dead. I need Jesus Christ to become my Savior and my Lord. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want to give you an opportunity right now before we partake of the Lord's Supper, I want to give you a chance to join us today in this. So I'm going to ask that everybody would just pray this prayer with me. We enter into this relationship with God with our own words, inviting God to come in our lives. He's knocking on the door of your heart right now. But you need to open the door with your words and say, come into my life, I need you. So while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, nobody's moving these next few minutes. I'm going to ask everybody in the building to pray this prayer with me. And wrap your heart, wrap your faith around these words. You don't have to yell it and scream it, but everybody pray this out loud. Say, Jesus, I need you. I need you to be my Savior. I ask you to become the Lord of my life. I believe you died for me. You were raised from the dead. You're Lord of all. I want you to be the Lord of my life. So I lay my life at your feet. Please come into my life. Make it what you created me to be. From this moment forward, I will learn your ways. I will follow you. You are my Savior. God is my Father. Thank you for receiving me. Thank you for loving me. Amen.